What's up, everybody? It's me, it's Kevin, and welcome to the first episode of the Like Life of Riley podcast. For those of you that have followed me here from School of Talk, thank you very much. For those who are new to my brand of podcasting, uh, it's not all that different from what you might find out out there in the other millions of podcasts. I'm going to just do a little bit of playing around here, trying to get comfortable with the concept of being all alone in studio. Just me and a microphone and a laptop. So as an experiment, I'm going to tell you guys a story. It's a story that happened to me in 1993 on Mother's Day. I had just met a few weeks before. I had just met my eventual wife, now ex-wife, but still fantastic friend, Dawn, mother of our daughter, Taylor. We had just met. I was... 22 years old and both Dawn and I were in pretty bad financial shape um, both of our cars were barely working she had a bunch of roommates that had all bailed on her me and my roommate had just parted ways he had gotten a better deal on an apartment and so I was kind of screwed out of a place to live um, in his defense I hadn't been home much since I had met Dawn but neither of us had a phone neither D neither Dawn nor I had a phone and it was Mother's Day and we needed to contact our moms and our grandmothers and this was in the days before cell phones this was even this was early days of pagers even come to think of it and so we needed to find a payphone and we knew that if we went out the entrance of her apartment building and made a right and then made another right up the alley we would find ourselves in front of a liquor store where there was a payphone across the street from that liquor store was a bank and there are some places where this is still true, but this used to be pretty ubiquitous that banks would have digital clocks uh, displayed out in front where it would flash back and forth from the time to the current temperature, which I always thought was kind of funny because... While I might not know exactly what time it was, I could pretty much tell what the temperature was just from being outside. But anyway, the clock was across the street. And so we walk up to the liquor store and there's a guy on the phone. Um, in the... See now I this is so funny because he was a black guy and so now I'm I'm getting uh uncomfortable in describing because because there is definitely a racial component to this story. But at this moment in time when we first arrived there there wasn't to me or to Dawn uh, a racial component to this story at all. We just got to the store and there was a guy on the phone and he was a little dude probably i don't know five foot five somewhere around there five foot six uh 130 150 pounds something like that not a not a big imposing guy um but he was on the payphone and there was only the one payphone and so we did this thing that I don't think 
I don't think people these days know how to do this anymore. But back then, it was pretty, you know, we had, everybody sort of knew how to do this. You stood, when you were waiting for someone, when you were waiting to get in line for something, um, like a payphone in this instance, or, uh, you know, an ATM machine, or, you know, anything else there was the sort of this understood buffer zone where if you stood within that zone, you were not um, infringing on the person's privacy, but at the same time you were letting them know without saying so that, Hey, we're here and we, and we need to use this public thing that you're currently using which for most people meant, oh, okay, somebody's waiting, in this case for the phone, uh, I need to hurry up and get off. Um, this guy didn't have that sort of uh, belief system, I guess. He just figured that, you know, the phone was his to use as he saw fit regardless of anybody if anybody was waiting if anybody had an important phone call to make whatever and you know for some some of you that are younger than me I'm 45 um, some of you that are you know my daughter's age which she's 18 you know some of you may not understand what it was like before cell phones before the internet before there was easy, easy ways to just always contact someone when you wanted to. We needed this payphone. This this was our connection to our mothers and our grandmothers, and this was Mother's Day, and we wanted to make a phone call, a few phone calls, uh, which would probably each have maxed out at three or four minutes just saying hey mom hey grandma happy mother's day we love you blah 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 because you couldn't stay on the line forever like you can with a cell phone you had however much time the quarter that you put in or whatever uh when i was a kid it was a dime you know uh but you didn't have a lot of time you couldn't just sit there and chit chat and chit chat but this guy was just going on and on who he was talking to and and we were standing far enough away that we couldn't hear what he was saying but it was clearly obvious that we were waiting for the phone and he just kept talking and talking and then he would hang up and he would throw in another coin and he would call somebody else and then he would start talking again i mean it was so fucking frustrating it was i mean it was just like you know, what you're supposed to do in that situation is get off the phone, let the next person take their turn, and then the next, and then you get at the end of the line, you know? And then when the two people, you know, like one person makes a call, then they get in the back of the line. And then the next person makes one call and they get in the back of the line. And then you make one call and then you get back in the line. And then the first person gets back in the, you know, and so on. It's just common fucking courtesy. It's how I was raised. It's what I expected. Well, this guy just kept talking and talking and talking and talking. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching the clock on the bank across the street. And it just keeps ticking off, ticking off, ticking off, ticking off. And finally it got to the point where it was like, you know what? Fuck this. Why wait any longer? We can walk back to the apartment. And we can push start my car. We'd done it before that. Yeah, it was the only way you could start my car at that time was to, you know, luckily it was a stick shift. So, you know, if you got it up to, you know, eight or 10 or 12 miles an hour and put it in second gear and pop the clutch, it would start. Not 
exactly the way that I, you know, like to take my newfound girlfriend around town, but she knew about it and was like, well, we can either walk all the way down to the other end of Lancashire Boulevard in North Hollywood, or we can go push start the car and drive to the next closest payphone. Um, I kept the positive cable off of the battery, or maybe it was the negative, I don't remember, but I kept one of the cables off of the battery just because I was afraid that there was a short and something was draining the battery. So um, we turn and walk away from this dick fuck who wouldn't get off the phone, and we're heading back down that same alley to go back to where my car was, which was parked right in front of her apartment building, uh, to push start it and go back you know, down Lancashire to to the other payphone that we knew about. And as we start walking away, now keep in mind at this point, neither of us have said a fucking word to this asshole. And we start walking away. And as we do, he says, yeah, that's what you should have done 20 minutes ago. And we're just about around the corner of the liquor store when I hear that. And I stop and I turn around and I turn back and I'm like, what the fuck did you say? And he says, that's what you should have done 20 minutes ago. And I'm like, whatever, dude, it's a fucking public phone. He says, yeah, I'm the fucking public. I'm the public too. I'm the fucking public. You know, so he's getting all fucking uppity, you know, just... Just being shitty, just being an asshole, you know, and makes me get uppity too. Pissed me off. I, you know, we hadn't said a goddamn word to this guy. And when we decide to walk away, then he finally decides to get shitty. It just just fucking pissed me off. So after that first exchange, I turned around and I start walking away and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Say hi to your fucking boyfriend for me, right? So we walk back down the alley, get back in front of the uh, apartment building to where my car is. I open the hood. I'm reattaching the battery cable. Uh, Dawn has uh, her dog with her. She had a... Black Black Lab Mix at the time. Sabra, rest in peace. And, um, you know, so they're just kind of hanging out there. Dawn's getting ready to help me push the car. And before I even finished putting the battery cable back on, the guy shows up coming up the same alley, followed us basically up the alley, and goes right back into the apartment building that Dawn lived in. And she saw him coming. She pointed it out. We both noticed it and it was like, well, that means he's done on the phone. Okay, well, now we don't have to deal with the car. So, uh, you know, I plop the hood back down on the car and we get ready to head back up the alley to where the phone is. And as we're doing so, here he comes right back out the entrance door again. I didn't really think too much of it, but he comes striding straight up to me. And I'm aware that, holy shit, this is something, he's he's in a like a threatening posture, you know? This is like he he wants to start some shit. And I'm not by any stretch of the imagination a fighter or a tough guy or anything like that. But, you know, I had eight or ten inches in, in height on this guy. And, you know, I wasn't particularly scared of him. I'll say that. He probably could have fucked me up all by himself. But uh, I wasn't particularly intimidated I'll put it that way but I was woken up just from the way he was coming at me 
And so when I turn to face him, he says, how you like my boyfriend now? And I'm like, what the fuck? When I said what was about the same time that his six foot five, 280 pound buddy who I didn't see, who was coming at me from the side, hit me in the side of the head. And that's when shit started to go sideways. I had Dawn's house keys in my hand which she had a you know she had a I guess it was mace back in the day um, sorry I'm messing with the mic stand right now it's probably making a bunch of noise but for some reason my mic stand never wants to stay where I need it when I'm recording so give me a second here um, so yeah I had her uh house keys in my hand which had the mace or pepper spray or whatever it was on them but it's like you know you got to turn it exactly the right way and all of this kind of stuff but yeah i mean i was panicking these guys were beating the shit out of me the the big guy had hit me on the side of the head which really rang my bell and nearly sent me to the ground and then little dude started peppering me with his little punches uh, which really did nothing. And I was still, oddly enough, focused on the little guy for some reason. Even though the big guy was the one that was doing the damage, I still was thinking that this was supposed to be a fair fight and it was supposed to be, you know, uh, I don't know, like honorable or something. <laughs> I don't really know. But so I was still focused on him while I'm getting, you know, kidney punched and hitting the side of the knee and all of this. And I, I really did, I didn't stay on my feet for very long at all. But while I was, I had the the mace thing was in my hand like a handle. And as a sort of a last-ditch effort, I swung the keys at the little guy, at his face, thinking that maybe the, the keys would rake across his face and, and at least get him to back off or, you know, I don't know what the fuck. But Dawn had one of those, it was one of those little disc um, keychains where the the thing that held the keys was actually just sort of a mild spring that held the keys so when i swung it her keys just flew <laughs> they just flew out in a, a, a massive arc across the road and in the meantime these two guys just descended on me and i ended up on yeah, basically in a fetal position on the road while they were kicking me and punching me. And uh, I felt very much like Reginald Denny from uh, not very long before during the LA riots. And all I remember is, is saying, get off me, leave me alone, stop. You know, it was like, I, I, nothing that had happened made me feel violent. So the fact that, um, you know, a couple of sarcastic barbs back and forth between the two of us made him track down his buddy to come beat the shit out of me just did not compute for me. And so all I wanted was for this shit to stop. And meanwhile, you know, Dawn's standing on the side of the road with her dog freaking the fuck out watching her boyfriend get the shit kicked out of him. And on top of that, we're directly in front of two multi-story, you know, six to eight story apartment buildings. 
and every balcony is full of people watching me get the shit kicked out of me uh, or out of myself, which is shit kicked out of myself, I guess is the better way to say that. And essentially they were cheering these two guys on, you know, nobody had any concern whatsoever for my well-being. They were rooting these guys on to beat me even further, uh, which was pretty shocking. And finally, I, you know, they just quit, basically. I mean, if they had kept, they could have literally beaten me to death if they had wanted to, because I was beyond uh, stopping them at this point. You know, once the, once the big guy had rung my bell as hard as he had, I was pretty much done. I, you know, I, I made a few, uh, pathetic efforts at physicality, but after that, they just pretty much had their way with me. And, um, so luckily for me, they, they either got tired or decided to stop for whatever reason. And I remember walking back uh, up that same alley that we had taken to get to the phone and a woman came driving up in her car and rolled down the window. And at this point, you know, uh, I'm pretty bloody and not looking super attractive. And she rolled down her window and asked me if I was okay. And I said no, thinking that these guys, I, I fully expected that these guys were chasing me as I was running away. And I thought, because if I was in her position, I would have, you know, opened the back door of my car and let the person in to rush them away from this situation. So I actually reached for the uh, for the door handle on her on the back driver's side door of her car, thinking that she was there to help me. And the moment I did that, she freaked out and punched it and squealed the tires and drove away. And so there I was, you know, broken nose, dislocated jaw, detached retina, cracked ribs. You know, I was a fucking mess. And But I was afraid to go back to the apartment building. I was afraid to even try and find Dawn. And she eventually came, you know, very shortly thereafter, obviously came running to find me because she was freaked out. And, uh, but we, now we had no key. We had no way to get back into her apartment because when I had flung the, the keys at, at these guys and sent them scattering all over the street, who knows where they ended up. So we had no way to get back in into her apartment, which neither of us were particularly keen to do because we knew the little guy didn't live in the building, but the big guy seemed to have because that's where the little guy went to find him. And we had two entire buildings full of people who had watched me get the shit kicked out of me uh, or myself. Uh, and didn't do anything about it. So we did not feel particularly safe. Uh, but where else were we going to go but back to her apartment? We had two cars that weren't working. We had no money. We had, you know, it was a fucked up situation. So we go back into the building and up to, uh, I guess you would call it the the super or the uh, the building manager or the landlord or whatever you want to call it we went to her apartment and here's the funny one of the funniest parts of this whole thing is she had clearly seen what had happened or at least had seen the 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 beatdown on the street right because she wasn't by any stretch surprised when she opened the door to find Dawn standing there and me bloodied and dazed behind on and she immediately uh started bitching out bitching us out about bringing violence to the building uh which i thought was pretty fucking ironic um 
but she gave Dawn the spare key so that we could at least get back into the apartment. Um, this story goes on. Uh, it went on for days. It gave me keen insight into what real friendship is, uh, how you should, you know, it, it like, you know, when you, when you're in a fucked up situation like that and you really need help from people and you ask for help from people that you think that you can take for granted that you can, that you could ask for help and they just shit all over you. It's a, it's a big fucking wake up call. And so at, you know, 22, I got a massive fucking wake up call about people and about what friendship means to most people, uh, which is, uh, you know, I like to hang out with you when everything's hunky dory, but the moment you need something from me, I'm going to run and hide like a fucking scared rabbit. So anyway, if you want to hear the rest of this story, let me know because this is just a test of the life of Riley podcast idea. This is one of the things when I'm by myself on this podcast, it's just going to be me rambling like this. I do have some fantastic guests already lined up, uh, which is going to be great. I really enjoy interviewing and I think I'm good at it. And, um, I've gotten some positive feedback on interviews that I've done in the past. If you have suggestions or ideas or things you think that might piss me off that you want to hear me rant about, if you would like to be on The Life of Riley, if you have an idea for somebody that you think would be a good guest for me to talk to, please, please, please contact me and let me know. That's what this show is going to be all about is interaction between my audience and myself. This isn't about me by any stretch of the imagination. This is all about you. You're the ones that are going to spread the word about this show. You're the ones that are going to drive the content of this show. You're the ones that are going to help me grow and learn and get better at what I want to do with this show so do not be quiet tell me tell your friends tell your family tell your co-workers let's do this thing let's make it fun let's make it dangerous Let's piss people off. Let's surprise people. Let's talk about stuff that people are too afraid to talk about. Let's be real. Let's be honest. Let's be funny. I love you guys. And now, through the magic of the pause button and digital audio workstation editing, I actually have a the, the second portion of this story to share with you. I had originally just thrown it in after the last version, but then remembered that I did that whole sign-off thing and all that kind of stuff. So here, just as a little buffer, let you know it's been a few days since I recorded that first part of the story. And here we go. We're going to go right into uh, the next section of the story. Uh, I got some good, some good feedback. And thank you for those of you that gave me feedback uh, on the first part of the story. So here's the next segment. And, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll just keep going with this. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Here's part two. So once we got back to Dawn's apartment, some of the details in the intervening few hours are a little sketchy for me. I, um, 
I know we went back into the apartment. I remember washing the blood off my face and having a look at myself in the mirror and thinking, wow, it doesn't look nearly as bad as it feels. And uh, I think a lot of that had to do anybody who's ever um, had any, you know, significant facial trauma knows that it doesn't really start to look ugly for a day or two at least. Um, so at the time it just, you know, once the bleeding stopped, I just kind of looked red and swollen. Um, but it wasn't too horrible. And I was like, wow, considering how bad this hurts, I would expect it to look worse. Um, but, you know, I could tell that, you know, there was something not quite right with my vision and, um, my nose was definitely broken. My jaw didn't seem to want to work properly. I had a lot of pain in my ribs. Um, so it was clear that I had to get to a doctor. And I do remember um, traveling to another payphone. I can't remember whose car we used. It must have been mine. I don't remember ever using her Z, but um, I think we called my roommate, and I don't. I don't remember. The one thing that I remember was calling uh, a friend of hers, a couple, um, one of her good friends, and the friend's boyfriend. Because uh, they it just seemed like the logical choice of people that might be willing to help. And the friend's boyfriend was just kind of like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it was like, wow. And, you know, I think we might have called a couple other people. I don't really remember. You know, again, yeah, we had answering machines back then, but no cell phones and uh, no caller ID and, you know. I just remember, I know we made more than one phone call from that phone booth, and one way or another, we just ended up shit out of luck. You know, nobody was either available or willing. Um, and so I remember we finally tracked down a, an emergency room, and, uh, you know, that's when I found out exactly what the damage was and the bruises were starting to show up. There was uh, I'll never forget when the doctor lifted up my shirt and you could, you could literally see a fist print on my ribs um, in the shape, you know, in the, in the bruise, the, it was literally like, you know, you could see the knuckles and the fingers and, like oh yeah well no wonder that hurts so fucking bad um can't remember if i got any prescriptions i don't think i did because even if they they probably gave me some but we wouldn't have had the money to pay for anything anyway so um oh that's right i think I think after that, because we really, really didn't want to go back to Dawn's apartment. It was, you know, uh, tarnished territory. It, it was, you know, who knows what was waiting for us or me back there. And um, if I remember right, it must have been that night. Dawn had a friend who was a musician. It was a guitar player is a British guy. Um, pretty sure his name was Rowan. And, you know, he was, he was regularly on tour with some big acts and things like that. But I think it just so happened he was in town or something like that. And she told him the story and was like, oh, absolutely love. You know, and so we had a place to crash for a few days. 
which was essentially, you know, on the carpeted floor of his apartment. But it was better than going back to her place. And that first couple few days was, is still, as many times as I've thought back on this story, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gaps in it. Um, but I know definitely we stayed at his place for a few days, which is so ironic to me because between the two of us, we had a decent, not a massive network of friends in LA, but you know, decent sized network of people that we all knew and nobody, uh, was willing to step in or help or, you know, just kind of like, fuck you guys, you're on your own. Uh, but here's this guy who's never met me, uh, from England. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Come on over. You know, I mean, all I got to offer is my couch or my floor or whatever, but yeah, fuck that. You, you can't go back to that place. That's, that's a fucking hellhole. And one of Don's other friends, uh, slash roommates had been back in Delaware where they were all from for a funeral of a friend of theirs. And when she found out her name's faith. And when she found out what had happened, it was when she was just getting ready to come back. Now she was getting ready to come back. If I remember right, she was getting ready to come back to California just to sort of settle her affairs and then move back to Delaware. She had decided, fuck it. I'm not living in California anymore. And, um, but she had the wherewithal, uh, the financial wherewithal to be able to get a motel room for uh, at least a couple of days, I think. Um, and so that's what she did is she flew in, she got a motel room and we all went there and I'll never forget, you know, we had to leave Dawn's dog in the car and, you know, go back and check on her from time to time. And, um, you know, she needed food and the food was at the apartment and Dawn and I were both too scared to go to the apartment. And so Faith finally agreed. I, there might've been somebody else that showed up too. See, this is, this is all the stuff that's kind of foggy. Um, but I know at some point somebody went back to the apartment and I think Dawn, I think it might've been, might've been Dawn and Faith because I wasn't fucking going anywhere by this point i looked like a raccoon you know the, the broken nose had given me two really gnarly black eyes my face was still really swollen i was in a lot of pain and i was in no condition if something had you know blown up back at the apartment i was in no absolutely no shape to to respond to it so fuck that i'm not going back sorry call me a pussy i don't give a shit and so one, you know, one sort of bright note to this story is that when they went back to sort of grab some clothes and get dog food for the dog and this and that, um, they were approached by a couple of people like outside the building or in the hallway or something that were aware of what had happened and were very apologetic about it and said that little dude doesn't live here. I think they even said the big guy doesn't, but they were hanging out. You know, they, they, they were friends with somebody that lived in the building or something like that. Too little, too late, but at least it was, you know, some glimmer of, of a light for in this story, you know. So we're staying at this motel and... You know, once again, we're all in our early 20s. And, I mean, what do you want to do when you're in your early 20s? You want to go out and party, right? Well, I didn't want to be seen <laughs> in public. I didn't want to leave that motel room. But partially, did, you know, it, does, it didn't have anything to do with vanity. 
shockingly enough for some people who know me. <laughs> but uh, it was, no, it was a twofold thing. It was, one, I was fucking scared. You know, and I'm not afraid to admit it. I That was such an incredible uh, experience that, you know, uh, holy shit, just being out in public can end up like that. I mean, it was, you know, it was a big deal. But on top of that, you know, you could tell that I'd been, I looked like I'd been hit by a truck. And it wasn't that I was embarrassed so much as I didn't want to have to answer the questions constantly over and over and over all night, all day, you know, like, oh my God, what happened? And blah, blah, blah. I just didn't. So fuck it. I didn't want to go anywhere. I, you know, I told them, you guys want to go out and, you know, do your thing, go for it. I'll, you know, sit here in the motel room and watch TV or whatever. But I remember, um, while it wasn't the fanciest of places in the world, um, did they have room service? I'm trying to remember because they, yeah, they didn't have room service, but they did have a bar. So you couldn't, you couldn't order drinks from room service. You couldn't order a bottle from room service, but you could order drinks from the bar and take them to your room. That's how I remember it. Uh, it might have been that they brought them up. I don't remember. What I do remember is that Faith ordered... I don't think I'm exaggerating here. 30 Jack and Cokes. <laughs> Something like that. It was this insane number of drinks. And I don't remember if she had to go down and get them or if they brought them up. What I remember is it was one of those great big hotel trays, those big, great big round ones with, you know, a couple of dozen at least highball glasses with pre-made Jack and Cokes with ice in them, with those little, with like saran wrap and a rubber band around the top. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of the most ridiculous thing you can think of because unless you're drinking them super fast, the ice is melting. I mean, but didn't have to go anywhere, right? And uh, there was a moment that was quoted for decades when, you know, the tray is sitting on the bed or on the table or whatever. And I remember Faith going, oh, I, I could really use a drink. I wonder where could I find it? Oh, there's one. It was just, just this funny thing because there was, you know, two dozen of them sitting on a table nearby. So, uh a little bit of levity mixed into this really fucked up situation. And um, it was a day or two after uh, I got jumped that I could tell Dawn was, nah, she had something going on. She was, she was distracted. She was, you know, quiet. She was, you know how people get. And, uh, finally, you know, I asked her what was going on. She said, nothing. I said, tell me, you know, blah, 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 that whole thing. And finally she said, you know, that this experience, uh, she'd been in California for about 11 months at this point. We'd known each other, uh, about a month and um, she was just done with California. She was, she, you know, she didn't know how to tell me. She knew I was, you know, obviously in a rough, going through a rough time, uh, recuperating from uh, getting beaten up, 
but she had made the decision that she was going to move back to Delaware. And I didn't even stop to think for a second. It was like, I did the math really quickly in my head. I was 22. I didn't really have anything keeping me anywhere. I didn't have, you know, I mean, in retrospect, there's lots of arguments that I could have made for staying, but at the time there weren't any, and I absolutely adored her and understood why it was that she wanted to leave. Now, no, I'll get to that point later. Um, so I just was like, you know, okay, yeah, I, you know, can I come with you? And I remember this look of relief flooding over her face and her saying that that was what she had hoped for, but she didn't dare ask me and put me under that kind of pressure, uh, which I thought was pretty awesome. So... That's essentially the impetus for why this California boy ended up moving to Delaware uh, in May of 1993. All right, so there's the first two segments of that story, and these are going to be the first... These, these are going to make up the first upload to my test site. I'm hoping that the sound is okay, the you know, all of that all of that good kind of stuff. I, I've listened back a couple of times and in my in my previous podcasting experience, it's all been been about, you know, cutting out long pauses and the ums and the blah, blah, and all that kind of stuff to make things more listenable. But when I listen back to this story and the fact that I'm literally just reiterating on the fly, the, the things that I remember, um, obviously the actual event of the beatdown is seared into my memory. So it's that part of the story went a little bit clicker, quicker, but um, the pauses and the ums and the, all of that kind of thing. I didn't want to polish this up too much. And if it made it difficult to listen to, please let me know. Cause I can always go back and clean that kind of stuff up before I post anything. But I sort of, I don't know. I, you know, it, it, it's an organic storytelling, this particular episode, this first episode. It's talking as things come to me, saying things as they come. And I know it's really annoying to hear ums and long pauses and all of that kind of stuff, but I didn't want to overpolish. I didn't want to make it seem as though I'm a radio professional or something like that because I am far from it. Um, but at the same time, if it's obnoxious to listen to, <laughs> then I need to know that. And maybe in future episodes when I'm doing solo work like this, I need to go back and clean it up just to make it more listenable. But for this first one, I'm leaving it raw and going to see what you guys think about it. Um, as I said in the previous sign-off, you guys are in charge here. If you like this show, if you if you like the idea, if you'd like to hear more from me, um, I do have some amazing guests lined up 
for the coming weeks and months that I think regardless of where you are in the country or in the world, uh, these people will be absolutely worthwhile, entertaining, funny, and intelligent uh, people with strong opinions that uh, I'm really, really looking forward to chatting with and sharing with you. Again, this thing doesn't work unless the audience supports it and tells their friends about it and keeps in touch with the creator. So hit me up on Twitter at underscore Kevin Riley. I'll have a email portal hooked up for this podcast soon. I will also have a Facebook page for it and its own Twitter account soon. But for the time being, if you'd like this, the first thing that needs to happen is you need to tell your friends, hey, check this, check this guy out or keep him in your, you know, back pocket. Uh, he's going to have some more episodes coming out soon that, you know, even if you're not super hip on the story that I just told, I promise you there's going to be some great stuff coming down the line. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, we're approaching an hour here. So I'm going to sign off. I love you for listening. Thank you so much. Be well. Be nice. Treat each other properly. I guess that's all that needs to be said. Bye-bye for now. I'll talk at you soon.